On today's Perimeter Podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of home or lack thereof and what it's like to uproot your entire family, household, and and move to a place where maybe you have more in common with the folks there than you may have in common where you live now. Or you may find yourself feeling isolated where you're at. We'll also hear from two Charles Smiths today, Charles Hugh Smith from a recent Peak Prosperity podcast, and my buddy Charles Eugene Smith, who will tell us a rollicking tale from the 70s. Folks, my buddy Gene's a hoot, so stick around for this. It's going to be a good one. So let's get into it. First of all, I'd like to start out with a quote from the Designer's Manual. This is from Bill Mollison, of course. And it goes like this. Tribal peoples are very much aware of and tied to their soil and landscape so that their mental and physical health depend on these ties being maintained. The rest of us have suffered forcible historic dislocations from home sites, and many no longer know where home is, although there are new and conscious moves to re-inhabit the earth and to identify with a bioregion as, quote, home. So when you think about the fact that so many of us came here to the United States from somewhere else, at least our ancestors did, you know, in my case, uh, Northern Europe. So I think a lot of us suffer from dislocation on some level, and we don't have much connection to the land and the people who, the tribal people who were here that did have an attachment to the land were forcibly removed from that land which is now inhabited by Europeans whose homeland is thousands of miles away. So as Mollison says, no one really knows where home is at anymore. And I don't think this is typified better anywhere else than the modern American city where your neighbors won't look at you or wave at you and pretend as if they don't see you when you drive up or they drive up. And the sense of isolation these days has never been greater. And even though there's all the social media stuff that's going on out there, people are more isolated because they sit in their house and stay on Facebook or Instagram all day long, and they never get out and get involved with their community. Or if some people try to make that happen, they find that their community doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And that's especially what happened to us when we moved pretty much everywhere in Atlanta, but specifically in Tucker, where we bought our first house. And when we moved there, it was, um, I'd say, a middle-class neighborhood, homes built in the 70s, good-sized yards, um, but not extravagant at all, just pretty pretty basic. And that appealed to us and also gave us the erroneous assumption that most of the people who live there would share a lot in common with us. But we found out pretty soon that if you weren't 
trying to go out for groundskeeper at Augusta National, then you pretty much didn't fit in. And if you were growing a garden in your front yard, you were looked at as being weird. And one time in specific, I had uh, the Cab County code inspector show up, and he shows up and tells me that my grass is too high and there's weeds. And the ironic thing about that is I always mowed I always trimmed my grass, which I didn't have a whole lot, but I always trimmed it with a uh, weed eater that was battery-operated, and I used solar panels on the roof in the back to charge the weed eater with because I just did not like using a lawnmower to mow a grass, uh, fossil fuel to <laughs> to keep to keep grass mowed. It seems like... A thousand years from now, they're just going to look at us and go, what in the hell are you people thinking? So I tried to do it with a renewable source, and I went out there like two days before, and I tried to, I got going mowing the uh, weed eating the grass, and I got into it for about three or four minutes, and my battery died, and I'd let my batteries go down, and it took about all day to charge up those batteries, so I put them on the charger, and I kind of forgot about it. So the guy shows up. He's telling me about my grass, and I, and he says, you know, he's pointing, saying, you got these weeds. And I said, well, actually what you're pointing to is a sunflower, and I intend to harvest those. And he said, oh, okay. I mean, he was a nice guy, but... After that, I thought, well, he seems pretty amicable to me pointing out what's what. And I thought I would take him around and show him what was edible and what wasn't. And then it dawned on me that I had chickens in the backyard, which weren't allowed where we were at. And I thought, if he's here and one of these chickens goes off, then he's really going to get his notebook out and we're going to have all kinds of hoops to jump through so I just bit my lip and I signed the little form he had with him and he went away but the point that I'm trying to make with that story is that at least if you join an HOA or you go into a community that has an HOA at least you know what you're getting yourself into and you can see in advance what you have to abide by. And when you just have a neighborhood with no covenants, you pretty much assume that short of having a car up on blocks in the front yard, you can, you're pretty free to do what you want. But no, that isn't true because any hammerhead can go around and just ride around. And I've seen people doing it before and they write down the address, and then they just go home and call the code enforcement. Because I asked the guy when he showed up, I, you know, he said, your neighbors called you, called us on you. And I said, who? He said, I don't know. So I doubt it was one of my neighbors because even though we had some quirkiness about what we had in the front yard versus a lot of the other people, they saw us out there 
using the weed eater and out in the yard a good I stayed in the yard a lot actually and there were several people that would come by and uh chat you know about certain things because I threw flowers out there too just to make it look more like a more suburban than it actually was and it was nice looking but I didn't worry about keeping my grass you know mowed down constantly you know on a regular basis and some of the uh, herbal things may have looked weedy but like I said in an HOA you normally already know ahead of time what you have to do and at least you can face your accusers because you know here I've got this anonymous person who calls the county on me who has the police force of the state that can come in, charge me with a fine, and if I don't pay that, take me down and throw me in jail. You know, it, it's worse than an HOA because the anonymity and the police powers that the county has to make your life miserable. And... Once we realized that perhaps, you know, the mere sight of a garden in somebody's front yard sends chills up and down these idiots' spines who think that their yards need to look like a golf course, and you're pretty sure you are not among, (laughs) you're not among your people. And at that point in time, you just think, okay, the best thing we can do is get somewhere else. Get somewhere else where either, A, people don't care what you do and they're not minding your own business, or, B, you share common values. And it's hard to ever share common values in a suburb or a city because there's so many varieties of people there from so many different places and all walks of life. And even though it seems like you may look the same from the outside, you know, those people are inside watching the Kardashians. And so the best thing for us to do was try to find somewhere else to go. And I just wanted to share a real brief snippet from Charles Hugh Smith, who was on the Chris Martinson show, uh, Peak Prosperity podcast recently. And I just thought he really hit the nail on the head. So let me go ahead and play that clip for you. There's, you know, we know the term of food desert. That's where, um, you know, uh, deprived neighborhoods, um, don't have any fresh food uh, outlets, right? So then the people's diet is horrible uh, because they just they they have to take a bus and all this other complicated stuff in in, a, in order to get to some place and buy fresh food. So we also have social deserts, hmm. and and I've um, a lot of people are uh, occasionally people will ask me, well, I don't know anybody. I, I live in an American suburb and it's like dead, 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 right? I mean, it's 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 dead at multiple levels, and so. Um, the, the answer is to move. <laughs> In other words, you have to go somewhere where there's people of like-minded values. And, yeah. and so it's, it's, it can be a real mind blower 
when you when you go to some place and you go, God, it just feels like home. Like there's people that are doing the same kind of stuff and excited about the same kind of stuff I am. And to me, there's nothing. I, I, one of the most depressing things I ever saw or experienced was in a gated community. And it wasn't a, up super high end. It was the kind of faux gated thing for the uh, the middle class that, you know, the aspirational middle class that wants to feel like they've really made it. Um, so then, and it's a bunch of stucco boxes with a manicured thing and rules against leaving parked cars in your driveway. And, you know, the, the usual America, um, uh, suburb thing, um, you know, rules, rules, rules. Um, you can only paint your house beige. Um, hmm. and, um, you go into the, the golf club and it's like this empty cavern. Um, and there's a TV with some commercials running. And it was like, and this is supposed to be the American dream. And I thought, this is the most depressing space I've ever been in. <laughs> and so I, I think that if, if so, if, if you have a response to a, a, in an empty golf club in a gated community like I did, then you're, you're in the wrong place. You're not going to find people with the same values and faith that you have. You're going to have to move. And so, and that's, that's a horrendous talk about inconvenient. I mean, moving is like the, it's like up there with death and divorce in terms of the, the, the toll it takes on your life. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes you got to do it. And, um, if you want to find home, meaning home where you can actually engage people and, and you're not, you're not rolling a, a stone uphill all the time, right? You're actually finding places where you can join and not have to start the whole thing yourself. And I just think he nails it right there with that because that was our predicament. And the last thing anyone wants to do is move. And it is so exactly what he just said. It's right up there with divorce and death. And that's not even a joke at all because it was so taxing on us to move. But, you know, if something's worth doing, it's going to be inconvenient. And that's one of the themes they were talking about. And it's going to be inconvenient to move. It's going to be inconvenient to get another job. It's going to be inconvenient to put all your stuff on a truck, pack up your house, and move halfway across the country or all the way across the country or wherever it is you're doing to another country even. But if you want to find somewhere that feels like home, sometimes you have to do that. And I've heard so many people say they wanted to do something like that, but they've got all these built-in excuses like, well, it's my job, it's my kid's school, it's all this stuff. And I know they want to get out from underneath the stresses that they're dealing with. And I know that a lot of these people would be way happier if they just did what their hearts tell them to do. But I also know that they're never going to do it. So I believe that in summation... What we're talking about when we say no one knows where home is anymore, and we're talking about the connection to the land, and that's the thing that people are trying to find these days, and it's why they feel so. I think the more we get addicted to the technological aspects of what's here in this age, 
the more and more we feel isolated because we've gotten that much further away from nature. And what people are always trying to find solace in with the uh, Twitter accounts and the Instagram accounts and the Facebook accounts is a connection to people, but then you left, then you're left feeling cold because the connection doesn't seem real. Well, that's because it isn't real. You know, there's someone on the end of that post who made the comment, but you haven't really interacted with that person. It's much different when you've actually got to talk to people and you're in a place where people will talk to you and they don't act like they're put out when you go into a store and ask a question. (laughs) And it's just a completely different vibe when you're in a smaller place, I think, at least it is for me. And people seem more genuine. And I'm not saying every place you go, every small place in the country, everyone's nice. No, that's not true. And I'm not saying every city that you're in, people are mean. I don't mean that. But I think the connections that we're looking for are the connections, number one, with people, and number two, nature. And if we don't have any connection to the land and we're so vagabond and gypsy-esque in this time, we don't have a connection or people just don't have a connection at all with any kind of uh, nature whatsoever. I think that's one of the reasons why farmers farmers markets have made a big comeback because people want to be more connected to their food. A lot of people now realize that half of the or most of the problems we've run into in terms of obesity and cancer and you name it are because we've lost touch with the farmer and the gardener is snubbed more and more. I mean, back in the World War II, it was mandatory that people had a garden because there wasn't as much... um, people being dedicated to growing food. So you had to do your victory garden. But now if you try to grow a garden, your neighbors will call the police to you. (laughs) That's just crazy. And the fact that the police come and actually, you know, say you're in the wrong for having the things. So everything's upside down. I think, we're more and more all of these uh, psychosis that we have is because we're further and further away from nature, our natural systems. And it's a shame. And that's what I want to try to promote people to get back to, you know, grow your garden, be more self-reliant, fix your own stuff. Stop throwing everything in the trash or buying something new. I mean, if you want to see what it's like to be self-sufficient, you know, deal with your own waste stream for a month. Try it for a week. You know, a system should, nothing should leave any system, any um, sustainable system. So if you've got scraps that you're throwing in the trash and you're putting those on the corner and somebody's coming 
and taking that away, you know, that's going somewhere as a pollutant when that could easily be a nutrient stream for chickens or pigs or whatever you can dream up, really. So if you want to have backyard chickens but your municipality doesn't allow it, then you're in the wrong place. You're not at home. You need to go out there and find somewhere where you do belong because it's out there. You you don't have to be beholden to all these laws and bylaws and regulations. There are places where people are like-minded. You have to find those places because everybody's values aren't the same. And for some, maybe the city is perfectly a perfect fit for that person. Personally, I don't think the cities are going to be good places to be in any type of emergency, which may or may not happen, but increasingly likely to happen, as we've seen so often lately. So home, I think, is out there if you look hard enough for and you're willing to be inconvenienced because it's going to be a tough thing to uproot everybody and move, but it's going to pay off for you in the long run. It really is going to pay off for you. I, I'm, I can attest to that. So with all of that being said, I'd like to close out with a little story from my good friend Gene. Me and him go back a long way. He's a great raconteur and an all-around great guy. So take it away, Gene. We left uh, Georgia uh, when I was six. I'm 59, so if anybody cares to do the math, they can back it up. But I, I, I was six years old. I, I finished the fifth grade, and the summer after that, we left, and uh, we had an Oldsmobile car, four-door Oldsmobile. This was my mom's car. My dad sold all his stuff, and we closed the house down, and my grandpa, he was looking after the house and whatever, and we left and loaded up our stuff. And Dad had built this plywood trailer on uh, car axles, and we headed west. And we got, oh gosh, I really don't know the mountain range, but we, we got into this mountain range, and we'd come up over the mountains, and so all of them Bill was struggling with the trailer, because it was loaded with crap, and it was a shit trailer. And we go up over the mountains, we get on the downside of it, and we start down, 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 and the brakes go out on the car, and Oh my God! Um, we're sitting. I remember us, us three, my brother and my sister and I, were sitting in the back seat. And Mom looks back and says, "You guys stay seated." And we're sitting there, and my dad's driving, and he would sway the car so that the trailer. I'm telling you, the guy was brilliant, and he didn't even know it. And God bless him, he's dead. But he would sway the trailer into the mountain, and there was all these big boulders that were left from the from the from making the highway. Okay, and so he would sway the trailer into them, slam, slam, because he had no brakes, and we're just going hell bent for leather. And those three kids are sitting there, wide eyed, going, "What the hell?" And Dad, in all his wisdom, he managed to smash that trailer and pull the axles out from under it. It fell on the highway and stopped us. When the state patrol got there, they were like, this is the California State Patrol. They're like, um, you guys are so lucky. You don't even know it. And I remember 
to this day. I'm a little kid. And they led us over. And the other side of the highway was this deep ravine. There were cars littered. And they're like, you were so lucky you weren't that person. I was a horrified child. (laughs) 